I invite you to join me in prayer. Holy and awesome God, your son's authority is found in integrity and living truth, not in the assertion of power over others. Open our imaginations to new dimensions of your love and heal us of all that severs us from you and one another, that we may grow into the vision you unfold before us. Amen. We are in the season of Epiphany, and uh, we have been using this quote to just remember what is Epiphany. During Epiphany, we remember the coming of the wise men from the East to honor the Savior's birth. As the prophets foretold, Christ, the light of the world, has penetrated the darkness, bringing justice and peace. Because of God's grace in Christ's birth, death, and resurrection, we are offered salvation from sin. So Epiphany was January 6th. Uh, it's a Wednesday, that was a Wednesday. And so then you have the Sundays after Epiphany and today's the third. So in, and we're using this like some churches do. We normally haven't done this in the past, but we're using it like a season to kind of pay attention to this theme of Epiphany, this season of like, okay, Jesus came and was born and in, in, in laid in a manger and that's Christmas and the shepherds come and they, they're kind of insider Israelite shepherds and they come and witness, you know, witness this. But then Epiphany begins with the Magi, you know, they're, they're foreigners, they're far off heathen, pagan idol worshiper types who gaze at the stars to try to find truth. And yet they come. And so it's God's light is going way beyond the boundaries. That's Epiphany. And uh, last week, we dealt with an epiphany story from the Old Testament that was for the insiders, the, the people of God. The, this was the, the Samuel story with, um, with Hophni and Phinehas, and, and God, God's light hadn't burned out yet for the people of Israel. But today, it's an Old Testament story of the epiphany message for the outsiders in that ancient world of Israel. So, Jonah. Um, we know Jonah's identity from the, a very brief reference. We know that we just know hints about him uh, in the book of Second Kings. There's a very short reference where we see, as one commentator put it this way, Jonah prophesied that even though sinful patterns of abuse and injustice and idolatry continued unabated in the Israelites, the northern kingdom of Israel would, would become great again by recovering land and prestige that had been lost under previous kings. This is Jonah. It's the picture of a strict nationalist, one who prophesied national great greatness for an unrepentant country. It seemed that he felt that when one is on the good side, then one doesn't need humility or confession or repentance. This is Jonah. Now, the other main character in the story is really the city of Nineveh, which would later be the seat of Assyrian power. Uh, the, the brutally warlike Assyrians would obliterate the people that Jonah served, his people. And the story 
in Jonah is told, like the mentioning of the Ninevites is, is said in such a way that we're, we're not really told why they're bad. It's like we as the listener or the ancient listeners, they just knew. They just kind of knew, you know, things just got drummed up as soon as they heard the word Ninevites. And so everyone in Jonah's circles knew how bad the Ninevites were, how dangerous, how disgusting, how they were on the wrong side of history. Have you ever felt that way about anyone? Can you think of parallels today of, you know, everyone in your circles knows how bad those other people are? And so there's a reason why Jonah runs in the opposite direction when God gives him this call to go and preach to Nineveh. Nineveh. Um, it might be a little bit like after the events of 9-11, in 2001, uh, if um, how New Yorkers, let alone Americans, but New Yorkers themselves might have felt about the name of Osama bin Laden. And then imagine one of them getting asked to go and broker a peace, you know, help broker a peace treaty with Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden, um, you know, months after this, this, you know, maybe they lost friends at the Twin Towers. It just, that's just a picture of just kind of the visceral um, hatred towards the other. And so what happens is that while Jonah is running away aboard uh, a sea vessel, God sends a storm. Maybe you know the story. It stops only when Jonah is thrown overboard. And Jonah, drowning, cries out to God for help. And God saves him. And it, the way the story is told, I mean, Jonah is, is kind of, uh, you know, like, I need God's help. Woe is me. I'm, I'm nothing without you. I need your help. And he's praying, and, and you came and you rescued me. And just after he sings that tune and sings that song, he, he turns his attention as God directs him to Nineveh. And almost immediately after receiving grace and rescue by the God whom he disobeyed, he looks at the Ninevites and is furious that that same God offers them that same grace. When we get to chapter 4, we read that Jonah, after preaching to them, sat at a distance and watched Nineveh. Maybe, maybe you can uh, uh, transpose the, the picture, you know, the meme of Bernie Sanders, you know, on the cliff with the mittens kind of sitting back. You know, that's, and just add like some doses of real anger, and you've got Jonah sitting there waiting the city had, this is what's kind of comical about it, the city had already repented beyond any reasonable degree. It's supposed to be kind of comical that they mentioned that the animals were repenting. They put the animals in sackcloth and made the animals fast. I mean, that's how extreme this, I mean, you can't repent. This is beyond anything Jonah has ever done to repent in his own life. And Jonah is still hoping against all odds that God will send down destruction on, on these people who were listening to God. It's a bit of a story of how you can't have it both ways on this journey of faith. You can't enjoy the benefits of a forgiving God of grace who rescues you when you are in self-inflicted trouble. And yet imagine that that God will never be gracious to the people you don't like. You know, when, when you're drowning and you call out to God, God doesn't say, oh, too bad, you jumped in the water yourself, shouldn't have done that. 
And Jonah knows this. Jonah depended on this, and yet as soon as God rescues him from drowning, he wants God to bring down fire from the sky to drown the Ninevites. And so Jonah says comically in, in, in chapter 4, verse 2, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Ah, Yeah, that's actually, a. those phrases are kind of like the God slogan of the Old Testament. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You'll see it in many, many places in the Old Testament, and yet only here does someone say it with gritted teeth in a clenched fist, in a in red face. Usually it's, it's just, oh, it's, it's relief and praise of God. The book of Jonah functions as a message, a message for all the good guys who might overlook humility and repentance. God wants to do business with the Jonas of the world, with those who somehow along the way forgot that repentance is a lifelong practice who forgot that their heart needs to be dealt with. God actually wants for everyone to have a heart experience of his love, not just the younger brother in the prodigal son, but the elder brother, not just the Ninevites, but Jonah. God wants to confront our poisonous self-righteousness and invite us to receive God's grace. It's a story that leaves you wondering and thinking, and really, if you tease it out to its end, to really say, you know, many who go to church their whole life are practically a lost cause. The way it feels like Jonah by the end of this story might be a lost cause. It doesn't really tell us if he learns the lesson or not. The way that the elder brother at the end of the prodigal son parable of Jesus might be a lost cause at the end. Many of the do-gooders that you and I wish we could look out at the world and that we would see more of these people, that they are, they are spiritually operating with a, a lost cause Jonah complex. Many people who meditate, who volunteer, who memorize holy texts, gosh, they even they vote the correct way. But they have only ever taken care of business above the surface. Like someone who comes in from tending the weeds in the garden, and they plop down on the couch with their favorite beverage and they say, ah, all done. After uh, ripping off the top of all the weeds in the garden. And of course, all of you gardeners know, right, that uh, you, you chuckle and you say, yeah, that doesn't do anything. In a few weeks, all those weeds will be back double in full force because you haven't dealt under the surface. What can look tidy to us and to the outside, to God, is just some clever, shallow window dressing. So many, like Jonah, need to do business with the self-righteousness and poisonous anger that results. I, like Jonah, need to do business with the self-righteousness and anger that results. Find a way to view the other the way that God has always viewed them, like his children, like his targets of lavish grace. And so I wonder, 
I wonder what I could do in the future to change this and to stop making Jonah mistakes all the time. Realizing, you know, after the fact, wow, I sure got mad about that person. What was going on there? But instead to uh, go throughout my day viewing people the way that I woke up that morning hoping God would view me. Looking out at the world and not saying, gosh, how, how might I tolerate this monster over here in my life? And instead say, how do I view them exactly as I hope God views me? How might I um, wake up in the morning to the Jonah lesson and all those others that might be in my life? How might I hope throughout the day that they might find the same grace that I woke up to that morning. Let us pray. Heavenly God, so fill us with your grace that we, that we can't get by without noticing the hypocrisy in our life, that it's just there's no way to avoid it because we're so aware of your grace that it it just changes how we view others and that we just so easily see them as being just like us. And perhaps in this world that we live in today, that many declare is, is more divided than ever, that it's, it's never been this toxic and this divided, that we might, that we might find a different way that we might not get swallowed up in this division and in the rancor and in the lack of love and the lack of sisterhood and brotherhood of your children. We pray that you would help us through the grace of Jesus that is in us, but especially by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.